Hello and welcome to another episode of the Just Emergencies podcast. In today's episode, McGill University student and research assistant Elisa Yadov sits down with two other members of her research team, um, research coordinator Ani Chenier and previous Just Emergencies guest and project collaborator Professor Matthew Hunt to discuss the preliminary findings of their research study entitled Ethics of Implementing Research in a Crisis, Understanding Moral Experiences of Healthcare Providers and Clinical Researchers at the Intersection of COVID Research and Clinical Practice. Now, as you can imagine, this is very timely and important research, so it's very exciting that Elisa, Ani and Matthew took the time to share their insights with us. This is Just Emergencies, the podcast where we show that global health emergencies are anything but just. In each episode, we'll explore an issue, question or event that makes us think about global health emergencies, humanitarian crises and how to best respond to them. Without further ado, let's get into the episode. Hello, I'm Elisa, a final year BA candidate at McGill University. I study international development and global health. I'm currently a research assistant on a COVID-19 study led by academics and researchers at McGill University and McMaster University. Our study is called Ethics of Implementing Research in a Crisis, Understanding Moral Experiences of Healthcare Providers and Clinician Researchers at the Intersection of COVID Research and Clinical Practice. Our study aim is to understand the moral experiences and support needs of healthcare providers and clinician researchers involved in caring for patients who are enrolled in or excluded from COVID-19 clinical research. Thus far, we've conducted 26 interviews with clinicians, healthcare providers, and researchers from countries such as France, Canada, and the US, among many others. There are five other members of the research team, including co-PI Professor Lisa Schwartz from McMaster University, research assistant Taklik Amir, and one of two research coordinators, Rachel Yancey. Today, I'll be interviewing the study's co-PI, Dr. Matthew Hunt, and our research coordinator, Annie Chenier. Matthew is an associate professor at McGill School of Physical and Occupational Therapy. You might have heard him speak during episode five of the Just Emergencies podcast. Annie has a master's in anthropology from McMaster University. Welcome, Annie and Matthew. Thank you, Lisa. Mm, thank you. Let's get started with the questions. Matthew, this first question is directed towards yourself, but Annie, feel free to pitch in. My first question is, what were some of the motivations which informed the creation of this study? Well, it's great to be able to come back to Just Emergencies and talk about this new research project. Um, you asked about the origins of this project, and we can put that in the context of previous research that we've conducted as a team. We've been looking at various situations in which research has been uh, conducted in crisis situations, and that has been both in the context of thinking about natural disasters and research conducted in, the, in settings where a natural disaster has occurred. And through that work, uh, we were led to this set of questions around the interface between research, clinical research, and uh, clinical practice in a crisis situation and the tensions that might arise. And so with that as background, we were really thinking about in the early uh, weeks of 
COVID uh, pandemic, trying to understand what, what, what are the implications of that, those questions and that prior experience from a research perspective, how that applied to the, the COVID setting. So it was really a spark for reflection. It opened up a series of questions for us. And then uh, with Lisa Schwartz, and then especially with Rachel Yancey, who's a pediatric uh, ICU nurse, really asking these questions. So what is that going to look like? How is this going to play out? What would be the moral experience to go to the framing of the, the study? And by moral experience, what we really are thinking about are these situations where people's values, things that they hold to be important, are being upheld or in some way being threatened or thwarted in the context of everyday life, or in this instance, about clinical practice, research practice, and its interface. So that's really some of the, the background that led us up to pursuing this project, developing it uh, back. I guess we started uh, back in April and May, and that we're continuing uh, until today. Thank you. That was very comprehensive. So this question is directed towards yourself, Annie. What are the key themes or issues from the interviews you've transcribed or summarized thus far? Yeah, thank you very much. Um, there are some clear common threads uh, already coming through. Um, first, we're learning a lot about uh, the COVID research landscapes and the ways in which it differs from regular uh, clinical research landscapes um, outside of that you know, very specific emergency context. Um, so some key elements that we've learned. So uh, intense and sometimes unrelenting news coverage around COVID, uh, disruptions in participants' personal lives due to public health and other related measures, um, fear for their own, their colleagues, their loved ones' health, so I'd say one first set of findings that we're getting uh, relates to participants' motivations for conducting research uh, or for uh, becoming involved in some way with that research. Um, so almost universally, participants describe feeling pressure to do something in the face of COVID. And many saw research as either a tool for doing something or in some cases, an added challenge uh, that made it more difficult for them to do uh, what they saw as you know, what they should be doing. So in some cases, research uh, was for participants the best way to gain access to possible therapies so that they could offer something potentially effective to their patients. And again, it's important to keep in mind that uh, high level of uncertainty around what treatments may or may not be effective, and early on even uh, what diagnostics may or may not be effective. Um, for others, research was the best way not just to get access to potentially effective treatments, but to fill uh, important knowledge gaps around COVID, uh, and therefore to uh, contribute to improving treatment guidelines. Uh, and for that group, there's really that tension with the need to uh, kind of quickly share results and the desire to produce results that will be usable quickly. And so all that said, uh, analysis is ongoing. We're looking forward to learning and sharing more uh, in coming months. So this question is addressed to the both of you. How do you see this study connecting to concepts of justice? Well, maybe I can start and build on what Annie has been saying. I, I'm going to emphasize two aspects in particular. You know, obviously, this is in a broader 
circumstance where there are all sorts of questions of justice that are circulating around COVID. At this current moment, we're thinking especially around vaccine distribution, which is the result of research, right? So we're thinking about justice questions relating to who's going to be prioritized and how we're going to distribute a vaccine. And if we back up and we're thinking about actually the nature of research and research production in the context of the COVID pandemic, there too, there are questions of justice. And so the two that I, I would emphasize that come forward in the interviews, um, the one that does refer back to what you was speaking, is really questions about what is being prioritized or what was prioritizing. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things we think of in terms of the ethics of crisis research is that the justificatory bar, that is the threshold that justifies the initiation of a particular research project is raised. So we need a stronger argument. The rationale needs to be more robust to initiate research, especially in a clinical environment. Mm -hmm. So that requires some sort of assessment and prioritization. And so what are the research questions and topics that should uh, garner those resources and uh, be prioritized in, in these settings? One of the things that participants spoke about was a concern sometimes, especially in the early days, that there were missed opportunities because mm -hmm. research didn't, uh, wasn't pulled together in a robust or, to use the, the phrasing of one of the participants, in a, a formal enough way. So there's some missed opportunities. So we have participants who are saying strongly that we need research and we need uh, research that is going to lead to knowledge that's going to have a clear impact on care provided to people who are affected by COVID. So it's like what questions are going to be important and how do we get those questions answered in an effective way? So th those are two of the elements that I think um, connect up with concerns of justice. Okay, makes sense. This leads on to my next question and the final question we have for today. It's directed to the both of you. What are some of the implications for policy and practice that you see emerging from the studies so far? So I think in terms of policy and practice, um, I would say there's definitely so there is absolutely a need uh, for uh, resources to uh, support uh, and kind of educate about their roles, the frontline workers who are going to be uh, drawn into taking, taking on expanded roles in research. Um, so kind of um, anything from explanations of, of, of that role and kind of like information tools uh, to support them all the way to um, opportunities for them to discuss some of the troubling things that they experience because of their engagement with research. So there's really a need for kind of a diverse and easily accessible set of tools aimed at frontline healthcare workers who get um, invited into taking on roles in research. Maybe I can uh, build on that for a second. Yeah, yeah that that's, seems to be an interesting uh, you know, set of implications from the study, which is absolutely the case. And yet there's this tension sometimes too, the people feeling like, oh, more information or just providing people mm -hmm. more, you know, uh, broader in services and it's not clear that patients will actually be enrolled. And so there's a worry that even too much like, information could be a form of mm -hmm. burden. So then how do you tailor it for effective communication that's really on point for the areas of concern? I, I do really appreciate any second point too about um, offering support, opportunity to share, and what we might say is like making moral spaces 
mm-hmm. opportunities for sharing the sorts of tensions that people have. The, the essence there too of like what sort of support, like what are the areas where people mm-hmm. are expressing the need for support? One of them that comes across for those frontline providers um, where some of these dynamics about like ongoing monitoring of consent, especially uh, mm-hmm. in the context where family members aren't present, there's more just, you know, PPE and all the challenges around communication. So that sort of process around not just the initial moment of uh, an informed, informed consent uh, deliberate process, you know, encapsulated process, but on an ongoing basis, especially with further, uh, maybe it's blood draws or other activities. And uh, specifically there too, with patients who are experiencing delirium or patients with dementia and the challenges of involving the families. And so that enters into the communication space and people are feeling like, the need for support around those questions. Um, so that that's an example of a particular domain in which sort of targeted support might be especially beneficial. Um, I don't know, any if you uh, want to layer more in about communication, but I think that is a theme that mm-hmm. comes across very strongly. Like we- uh, sure. Well, I'll kind of the, the flip side of that communication, but I'll say that that is absolutely that kind of frustration with not knowing what happens next. It has been expressed by many participants, including people with kind of like a long history of engagement with research. So it is a uh, longstanding and uh, serious issue for research more broadly and COVID research. And then unrelated, but there's a lot um, in terms of that kind of higher level uh, coordination, either between trials um, or between institutions that are kind of hosting multiple trials or supporting multiple trials. And what we're seeing is that uh, pre-existing programs, so some of which had been set up, um, well, in Canada in response to things like SARS, but to set up in response to prior prior emergencies, um, have been drawn on and have enabled people to really mobilize uh, resources to move things uh, through for instance, the ethics review process more quickly, uh, but not less rigorously. So um, this is one area of policy where where prior calls have been taken up uh, by practitioners uh, and where improvements have been, you know, have had like a manifest impact on COVID research. Uh, So that's something where I'm sure we will be able to identify from participant stories opportunities for kind of refining um, possibly some of those policies, uh, but where we have seen uh, positive impacts from past past research and past calls for action. That was super insightful. I'd like to thank the both of you for your time. Well, thank you very much for having us. Oh, great to talk to you today. I will now close this and pass it back to Rebecca. So that's it for today. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Episode transcripts are available below the episode description. We also have show notes on our website where we not only list all the references mentioned in this episode, but also give you some further resources if you're interested in learning more about today's topic. If you have any questions, comments or ideas for topics you'd like to hear about in future episodes, please email us at ghe at ed.ac.uk. We're also on Twitter as at Mitra and Rev underscore Richards. Be sure to check out and explore our website, 
justice and global health emergencies and humanitarian crises. For more great content, just go to www.ghe.law.ed.ac.uk forward slash. Thanks for listening and see you again for the next episode. This podcast is edited and produced by Rebecca Richards and made with funding from the Wellcome Trust.